correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve. One Steve here for you this week, but I do have a guest, and well, we're going to cut right to it because, again, we're continuing with our kind of Halloween spooky month theme. This week, we're going to be talking about werewolf the role-playing game and uh werewolf the apocalypse werewolf the forsaken etc but we're doing so with our guest this week who is josh the host of werewolf the podcast here on the d20 radio network welcome josh yeah thanks for having me i always am up for talking about werewolf uh i spend a lot of time doing so and when you invited me i'm like heck heck yeah i'll come talk about uh werewolves a little bit more very very cool so, yeah, you are the host of said podcast on the network, which obviously talks about the game. And I mean, I played it some way, way back in the 90s, but that was when, well, at least where I went to school and the college, that was right after like uh, Interview with a Vampire had come out. And so the world of darkness exploded and vampire was the big rage and werewolf was like, well, to me, it was kind of not as trendy and a little cooler than vampire but i know i didn't understand all the themes or even ever have them explained to me at the time so i don't know where you want to start with the game we've done a little bit of talk before we had Chaz on talked a little bit about the mechanics of of the world of darkness systems but this is your baby so you drive the conversation yeah so werewolf the apocalypse is a game that is a lot of contradictions it is a spiritual game that is focused around being small groups of, for lack of a better set of words, uh, spiritual focused terrorists who are eco like fascists in some ways. I'm telling you all the bad things about it, but you are a werewolf that is uh, born rather than created, who is part of a pack of other werewolves who go out and try to save Gaia or the world from the encroachment of, of a being called the worm, which is trying to corrupt and ultimately destroy the world. So it's a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But for me, it has definitely always been a game about finding that balance between spirituality and knowing when to be angry and when to take action on that anger and balancing that against all of the other responsibilities that you have in the world. So it's a really deep game that at sometimes can just evolve into, hey, this session we're going to go beat up on X, Y, and Z creature and have fun, you know, destroying something that uh, is just a, an embodiment of something that we don't like or that we think is harming the world. That that tracks with, with kind of my early experience with it, you know, and, being as, you know, I was just the person, Hey, do you want to play this? Oh, sure. You know, I didn't read the books, you know, Oh, what, you know, what's this, what's that? Okay. Yeah. I'll play one of these. This looks cool. But yeah, having, you know, listened to your show a little bit and, and just, you know, the 20 some years in between, you know, picking up this, that, and the other thing, it, it is a much deeper 
much more themed game than just, hey, let's be big werewolves and go around and destroy stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely a game that has that this a, a lot of balancing acts to it, where it can be about big themes and ideas, things like capitalism and um, communalism and religion, and it can be about all of those things, and then it can be, hey, it's fun to pretend we're blowing up the Denny's one weekend because you know we didn't like the service we got the last time we went to that particular Denny's or something like that. Like it is a mix of satire and just this interesting exploration of self and fun, you know, fun wrecking things. Yeah. Cause like I, well, back at the beginning of COVID when, um, well, I don't know who exactly owns the rights to the games now, because that's been a game of musical chairs for years now, but the, uh, re-releases of the 20th anniversary books, they put up the PDFs for free and I snagged particularly werewolf because that was the, what do you want to say? The one of the original, you know, world of darkness series that interested me the most. And it just sat in my hard drive for the longest time until well, a couple months ago, I opened it up and I started reading that. I'm going to call it comic spread in the beginning. I'm like, Oh crap. There were really a lot of themes in this. And, you know, like you said, the, the spirituality, you know, at least just based on, on that little bit, you know, there's native American overtones, a lot of that, which, I mean, I know the, what do I say? The Wendigo legend, I guess, probably has its, maybe not its origins, but an origin in, in that culture as well. Yeah. Uh, so um, that particular spirit is one that's kind of a taboo one in Northern uh, Native American traditions, where even like saying the name is supposed to be kind of a taboo thing because you're kind of calling the spirit into existence. And one of those things that werewolf took a lot of inspiration from real world spirituality and real world culture to give you different presentations of different werewolves. And some of that's really, really fun and interesting and engaging and helps like give you a, a transformative pathway into learning about those cultures. And then sometimes they went super stereotypical and then all of your Fianna or your Irish werewolves are drunks. And it's like, Hmm, maybe that's not the right sort of, Thing that I want to be taking away from this, but it's it's a game that lets you play with those sorts of things where you're like, hey, here's the stereotype of this group of people, and then let me learn more about them and get more depth behind it and actually understand where these folks are coming from and what created the myths that are at the core of this game. One of the things that I think for me was a guiding light into wanting to learn more about people was the fact that this game gives you, and all of the World of Darkness games, give you just enough about real-world people and real-world myths to want to learn more, and then being able to go out there and find those things and learn about them and get educated on what they're actually about. I think that's a really, really like powerful thing that these games offer as a pathway to. Yeah, and, and you know, I wasn't trying to bring the other stuff up to be critical because, I mean, one, they were hardly alone in, you know, so many games that came out of that area, just they very much did play on stereotypes and, and all that. And it, they were a product of the times. And looking back, it's easy to see and say, hey, we shouldn't have done that. But at the time, no one was paying attention to do that. So like you said, if you use it as a tool to say, hey, let's look further into see this and see what it is, I think it, it's really a, 
a good thing in a way. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. The thing is, is that Werewolf the Podcast as a podcast is a retrospective podcast that's looking at the books from the beginning of when they came out to where they are now. And that's meant that I've been fairly critical and I look at everything through a, a bit of a feminist and a, a, a criticism type of lens where I'm saying, hey, maybe these things aren't perfect, but darn, they were progressive for their day. And that's one of the things that I want to, like, I constantly remind my listeners is like, this was progressive as heck for the time. And is it now as progressive as it was then? No, we've learned a lot in the last 30 years. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least respect what the media was at that time also. So it's definitely like, as a podcast, looking at all of the the books and the material and saying, these are the good parts, these are the bad parts. And then what can we take away for our games today? And I think there's still very much a, a group of games that you can play today and have, you know, have a solid impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like you said, it, it, it is a weird thing in some ways to look back. And I think that's one of the things, you know, I didn't actually discover your show until you joined the network just recently. And I've listened to the couple episodes that have come out since then. And I know, uh, I believe, was it your most recent one was the one about the um, apocalyptic record Kickstarter? Yep. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, the interviews you did there, I mean, yeah, you, you didn't really pull any punches about this and that, but even the, the creators you were talking to said, yeah, that was how it was. And, and we want to go back and, I don't want to say rectify, but like there was you know, a consciousness of, Hey, this wasn't done to a modern standard and we're going to bring it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. my, yeah. I know what I'm thinking, but I can't say it. I, I think, think what you're getting at is they, they want to bring the setting into, into alignment with the positive ways we've started to look at things in our world today, where you want things to be authentic particularly things like when you're talking about other cultural elements, when, for example, there's a book called Rage Across Australia, which is an amazing book, but it was written at a time where it wasn't particularly well designed for taking into Aboriginal Australian cultural elements. And so for Apocalyptic Record, they got a writer from Australia to write about that from that, that cultural perspective, and then got a cultural consultant who is from an Aboriginal culture to review those elements and say, hey, I think if you lean into this, it's going to be a little bit better. If you pull away from this, it'll be a little bit more respectful. And that makes a better book when you're looking at doing that from a tonally respectful way. So I think I think that's like a totally appropriate thing to do in RPGs these days is use cultural consultants and use sensitivity readers to find that balance where you're telling a good story and one that's respectful and empowering to the people that you're writing about or talking about in your context or your game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you brought up, you know, having kind of lived through that. Yeah. The, the world of darkness games for their era were incredibly progressive in theme and, and, and everything. So, I mean, yeah, not perfect, but nothing is. But maybe, uh, I don't know, should we get into something maybe not quite as heavy now with the games? Or <laughs> we, we certainly can. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, my like habit is to go super deep really quickly. But okay. um, I, I think the the game can be as simple as 
hey, we're a pack of werewolves. That's our enemy. The enemy being whoever, you know, like the local uh, industrial complex that is destroying the environment. And you can do a bit of a Captain Planet sort of game with it as well, where you're like, the bad guys are obvious bad guys who twirl their mustaches and we're going to rip them to shreds. Like, that's the thing with this game. You can go as deep as as uh, as gender and culture to as, I won't say shallow, but you can go in the different direction of, hey, we're just going to beat up this thing because it's going to be fun to do that night. Yeah, well, that's, you know, like, again, going back to my 20-some-year-old memories, you know, you had the three forms and this and that and the other thing. And, and I don't know, I guess part of it for me is I've always found wolves just as, you know, the animal to be a very fascinating creature. And the idea of, of mixing that and humanity and then getting to role play that was, you know, interesting. And on some level, I think it's, it's a game that I want to dive into more, but I just don't know. In some ways, I don't know where to start. And I'm also daunted by the fact that, one, there's so much material out there. And then there's Werewolf the Apocalypse and there's Werewolf. What is the new one? The Forsaken is the newest, newer one, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's Werewolf the Apocalypse, Werewolf the Forsaken. And it's like, well, um, which one does what? And kind of throw up my hands and go, well, I've already got a stack of games I can play. That's fair. I think the, the World of Darkness games are good games to have a storyteller who lives and breathes it the first time, but not everybody has that. So the other options you have are to learn enough to tell a specific story that you want to tell. And I think that's like the best angle to go at this is to read enough of the core book. You could get the werewolf 20th anniversary edition core book and have all the books you absolutely need because that book is about 500 pages and gives you all the content that you would need to run a game for 20, 30 years easily. And then figure out the tribes that you're most interested in, you know, learn what their kind of shtick is. You know, tribes are basically your uh, one of the version of the uh, the classes or species that you'd have in D&D. Um, but then you've got those to learn a little bit and the auspices, which is kind of your role that's more of your class. And those are your, you know, different duties to Gaia. So I'm, I could easily like dive into super too deep which is my problem is I like <laughs> I go there too quickly. But I think if you look at the game and say, hey, this is the story I want to tell. I want to tell a story about a local park being developed by a local uh, development company. And that development company is run by a worm corporation. That story can be really small. You can build your players, like give them the information that they, they need to choose what tribe and what auspice they want. Learn that information and then run them through that story and then seed in other things as you're going on. And that would be a really powerful game right there. The differences between Apocalypse and Forsaken get pretty big pretty quick because Forsaken was designed to be a completely different game where it's talking about different themes and different concepts. It's a great game. I haven't spent as much time with it as I have Apocalypse, but Apocalypse is definitely as a game designed for big stories that impact the entire world and forsaken's more about hey this is a small local story that is specifically about this group of werewolves and you can do both with both games but i think they're designed mechanically for that difference where apocalypse is about the big stuff and forsaken is about this is the small how is it important how is it big to you okay so 
you know, you've mentioned this with the worm and Gaia. I, 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 obviously, there's clearly very environmental themes to the game. And I don't remember the tribes at all. Are they more like geographic? So like would in the context of, of your average game, would your, your pack or your group of PCs all largely come from the same tribe or is it more common to mix them? It's more common to mix them mostly because people like the different flavors of the different tribes. And generally I would say a lot of people base their games in North America where we have the melting pot. So each of these tribes is traditionally connected to a specific ethnic group or ethnic area around the world. There are a couple of exceptions to that, but there are 13 to 16 tribes, depending on how you're counting them. And they generally focus on specific, uh, like I said, ethnic groups uh, that are kind of the, the kinfolk or the, um, the humans that you are associated with. So I mentioned before that there are the Fianna, and they're generally associated with the Irish. I'm just going to give a couple examples. Then there's also the Fenrir, the Geta Fenris, and they're associated with Scandinavia, and they're really like Viking kind of mentality sort of tribe. There's the Black Furies who are uh, associated with Greece and specifically with the Amazons. So they're an all-woman uh, tribe. And that uh, generally, a, a lot of women are attracted to that idea of the powerful Amazon. So there are women in all of the different tribes, but that tends to be an area where I, I see a lot of women, you know, get interested in the tribe and they say, oh, I'll play a Black Fury for the first time. Then you've got tribes like the Glasswalkers and the Bonars, who are urban tribes, who are wolves that they almost have no connection to their wolf relations. And they're mostly uh, humans, the Bonars being poor and the Glasswalkers being rich and super technology oriented. And then you've got the Red Talons. And I've already only talked about six and there's a bunch more. But the Red Talons are your wolf only werewolves who they are. They only uh, create, you know, other werewolves with wolves. And they are kind of anti-human, not necessarily fully anti-human, but they're really a little bit anti-human. So you've got a mix of all kinds of different like spreads there. Um, and there are more of them as well, but those are the kind of the, the highlight reel that I uh, usually mention to folks to kind of get them interested in the different things that you can look at. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's bringing back a, a, a few memories. Um, and I remember, am I correct in remembering that, that your characters generally have also three, I don't, I don't remember if these were the, but the three forms, I believe there was the, Basically, you have human, you have your werewolf form, and then you had a animal wolf form. Is that also correct? Sort of, yeah. So you've got five different forms. You've got your human form, you, what you're called, the crinos form, which is your werewolf, your classic werewolf form. And then you've got your uh, lupus form. And those three forms also are related to different, um, I would say, uh, I hate the word breeds, but it's the term they use in the game, different breeds that you're from. So you can be human born, you can be Metis born or Krinos born, or you can be lupus born. So basically you can be born of werewolves, born of wolves, or born of humans. Um, and the ones that are born of werewolves is kind of a negative thing. There's lots of cultural taboos about that being a thing. Um, and that gets into some other non-progressive elements of the game. but Generally, today, they've kind of leaned away from that a little bit. 
But from a, a form perspective, when you're shifting forms, you've also got two other forms. You've got a great or direwolf form, which uh, is right between that crinos form and the lupus form. And then you've got uh, what I'd call the Lon Chaney werewolf form, where you just look like sort of a monstrous human, uh, and that is called your glabro form. So you've got those five forms and the three different breeds that are associated with some of the forms as well. Okay. And then like you were talking earlier about the tribes, like the red talons are exclusively would be lupus or lupine. That's right. They're exclusively lupus. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, gosh, you know, this is one of those things where the more I werewolf has always kind of been this one where the, the specific world of darkness game that I look at and go, this is the one, but I hesitate for whatever reason to just dive in. And, and this conversation is making me want to, go crack that PDF open and just start reading. <laughs> I think you should. I think, I think it's a great idea. You know, start a game. Just saying. Well, that's the thing. And like, for whatever reason, I've had this idea that it would be really fun to run like a wild West werewolf, you know, maybe something where, you know, they're, they're the railroad barons or something are your, your main villains or something like that. That would be awesome. There, there's an entire subset of books created for werewolf called werewolf the wild west so there are uh, and there's a, a supplement just for werewolf 20th anniversary edition that is pretty slim but it gives you all the tools that you would need to run a wild west game in uh, in in that rule set cool so do you have a particular what do you want to say flavor of game that you like to run in werewolf like a, a particular like your go-to themes or do you just kind of go whatever you know Oh, hey, this is a neat story idea. What themes do I want to use with this and so on? It definitely depends. Yeah. I tend to try to build my stories around my players' desires and the things that they tell me in character creation that they want. So I've run a bunch of different games, but my current game that I'm running as an actual play for the podcast is big, uh, where I decided to go world shattering. And usually I don't. Usually I try to go local and keep things close to home where I um, will pick a, like a specific area and create a, a mystery that the players have to solve or something like that. But this game, all my players wanted something big. And so I created a world of rage, which has the nation of Garu, nation of the werewolves, basically fractured so that there's no unity of the tribes or anything like that. There's no single king like there is in the actual um, setting. And instead, there are all these little fiefdoms of werewolves around the world who are in conflict with one another and generally not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the game is set around this idea of the pack being prophesized to bring unity to the nation and to all of the different changing breeds, the other shifters other than werewolves, werecats, were ravens, and things like that. And they're trying to bring all of them together and focus on, hey, this is what our single mission is together. And that game is really talking about lots of different things, but it's a, a good mix of personal journey for each of the players, characters to be like, who am I? And how do I fit into all of this greater uh, nation that exists around me? As well as what does unity mean? How do we get there? And if we can get unity, is it actually going to help us in the long run? 
those are the kind of like the big questions that I've built up around them. And so far, you know, they're not super far in. I think we're about eight, nine sessions in, uh, but that's enough that they have gotten really deep, really quickly and keep kind of spinning their wheels in the very first plot hook um, and are just kind of getting stuck trying to figure out the big mystery. And uh, I can't reveal it since we're putting that as an actual play, but uh, those are the types of things that I try to do is find the player's core things that they're looking for out of the game and then structure everything around it, build the story from what they are giving me as the things that they want and are interested in exploring. Very, very good. That sounds really cool. I'm going to have to, how, how far are you into to actually broadcasting that? Cause so I've only got two episodes, which is uh, only the first session. So we're nine sessions in. I've only got two episodes of the first session. I've got one, the third one of that session that I'm finishing up. It takes a long time to edit. We were talking about editing before we got on recording, but it's taking a long time to edit those because I've got six players all with different mics and different, you know, voice quality and everything. So there's a lot of editing that's going into those to make them, uh, make them work. Now, okay. But so to speak for jumping in, it's not something like you have to go back and there's six months worth of episodes already out, you know, no, thankfully at this point, no, thankfully you just got the two episodes to listen to. Oh, excellent. I may uh, do that tomorrow at work, (laughs) but it it sounds like, and I, I remember, you know, again, when, when werewolf was kind of mentioned to me early on, it was, oh, it's, it's the combat world of darkness game, you know, the, the most D and D like, and it sounds like, well, yes, it, it can do that, that, you know, werewolves by their nature are fierce combatants. That's not at all the, the real story behind the game that it's more that, you know, yes, they're capable of that, but they do a lot of work before that, that aspect comes to the fore. Exactly. I would say it's a game about questing where there are things that werewolves have to go out and and find or retrieve. And that could be that could be a spirit in the spirit world they have to connect to. That could be a magical device called a fetish in the, in the system that they have to go out and uncover and find. It could be a mystery that they have to uncover. Whatever it is that they're questing after, that should be to some degree, the core of the story, but that quest can be about anything and it could have fighting along the way, or it could have, you know, procedural sorts of uh, interrogation and investigation, or it could have just introspective exploration as well. So it all depends on how you build your quest, basically how uh, it will play out. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things where, Especially at that time, I was playing a, a really, really strange Call of Cthulhu game, and I had just gotten into gaming, so I didn't really realize how deep games could really go. And then, you know, like I said, the the, the big world of darkness was Vampire, which was just all the rage because of movies and whatnot, and they were really popular in society at the time. And, you know, the, the nuances of it were completely lost on me back in my, well, teens. <laughs> Uh, but it, it sounds like, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have to read this and, and really see, you know, what, what grabs me in the text, because that oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be reading and I'll just catch on something and, and like, oh, th- you know, it, it all clicks. Yeah. I think that's that clicking thing. There are two things I want to uh, 
to say in response. Like one, I was 15 when I started in World of Darkness. I get it. Um, <laughs> I I played a character. My first vampire character was Billy Idol, but in vampire. Um, and I That's wasn't beautiful. even really a big Billy Idol fan, but I was still like, yeah, I'm going to be Billy Idol. So not very deep at all. And then two, these books are really well designed for, hey, here's a story hook. Here's an idea. And then you can build an entire chronicle or, you know, game story around that idea that you read in the book. So I recommend doing that exact thing that you were suggesting. Okay. Now, mechanically, as I recall, the, the world of darkness is a, is a dice pool system built around D10s. And, you know, you, you had, so to speak, attributes and skills and you counted how many dots and then you rolled that many dice. And now does werewolf, cause I know, Different iterations of the World of Darkness had slightly different mechanisms. Does Werewolf the Apocalypse have the sliding target numbers, or was it a fixed target number and variable number of successes? Or Yeah, so it's got a sliding target number. You're absolutely right. It's a dice pool system, D10s, um, and then you build it based on the dots that you have on your character sheet, how many dice you roll. And then you've got a sliding difficulty number based on what, the storyteller decides, hey, this is going to be X, Y, and Z difficulty. And then you have to roll that number on the die. And then the amount of successes you get equals kind of the um, the scope of success that you've uh, achieved, basically. It's a weird system from a mechanical standpoint, from an actual like math standpoint. It doesn't really hold up for very long. It kind of breaks down very quickly. But if you're able to kind of just accept that it's a uh, a semi not great <laughs> explanation of things, it works really well with the story, um, and it gives you just enough to bounce off from that. And when it comes to combat, there are ways to run it as written, where it can be pretty crunchy, or you can do away with most of that and just say, "Hey, there's going to be a couple of dice rolls, and I'm going to run it this way." I think. That's where the system gets hard. Not hard as in it's actually hard to do, but hard as in it's hard to make it feel like you're doing the things you want to do. Um, some of the advantages of what they're doing with the new 5th edition versions of these games, which Werewolf 5th edition will hopefully be coming out in the next two, three years, who knows, but probably in the next couple of years, they're making some of those dice systems a little bit more focused and a little bit more easy to, to pick up. Well, I think, too, though, looking back on it now, I think it's a little easier to see that the World of Darkness was the were the first real, if you want to call it, the first real games to break into the mainstream that were more narrative and emulation-based than they were simulation-based. You know, I think back to, be it like Cyberpunk 2020 or the Palladium Engine, you know, even Dungeons & Dragons or, or some of the others to a certain extent, they're at their core, they're they're intended to simulate what happens in the real world, not necessarily, you know, here's what we're trying to do. How, you know, how do we make it look like the movie or the thing that we're imagining in our head? Yeah. And, you know, they, look, the, the game system, game design has come a long way in the last 25 to 30 years, you know, 20 years, whatever. You know, different things have been developed that just... You know, and, and then, you know, this person comes up with this thing and then three things come off that and, and so on. And and so, you know, again, we're looking at a game that 
by modern standards does feel a little clunky, but at the time was really kind of groundbreaking, I think. Yeah, 100%. The, these games changed the industry, the RPG industry, when they came out. And Vampire is 30 years old as of two months ago. Werewolf is 29 years old and will be 30 years old next year. So they're not, they're, I wouldn't call them old school games necessarily. Some folks put that uh, on the much earlier RPGs, but they're definitely were, uh, I would say, second, you know, wave RPGs that were saying, hey, we can tell a good story with these and the mechanics they were trying to get so that they could help you tell a good story. And I think they do that. They're not perfect. We have some better mechanics that we've learned how to you know, use now over the years. But at the time, they were groundbreaking and they're still good. They still do what they're designed to do. Heck, I'm still playing them, you know, some odd, almost nearly 30 years later. They're definitely still worthwhile and still, you know, fun to play. Well, yeah. And, and if you take, you know, and approach the game as a more narrative thing, the mechanics are just a little bit less important in a certain way. You know, it's, it's, we're telling a story and we're using the mechanics to decide some random elements instead of taking the, we'll roll for everything that, that you see happen in a lot of, especially beginner D and D games where, Oh, you, you roll to open the door. Well, you fail. So you're standing there staring at the door. Well, let's be honest. It might be funny the first couple of times, but it gets boring. <laughs> yeah. It gets boring quick. Yep. Because I know, I remember I heard an interview somewhere, and this is going more specifically to Vampire the Masquerade, but an interview with Mark Reinhagen, where I get, you know, he wrote all the the world and the lore and everything and was just completely stumbled on the mechanics side of it. And um, as I recall, they actually brought in someone from the Shadowrun team at FOSA to design the mechanics of the game based around his world. Yeah, I can't speak to that exact process, but I think it was definitely something similar to that. I, they were a merging of companies that kind of created White Wolf at that a, that that era, you know, from Night uh, Night Rampant, I think that was their name, and then White Wolf the magazine that all became White Wolf Publishing. So there were a lot of big brains coming together to, to create those first games. Yeah, look, but yeah, I, I I didn't think about it until you brought it up, but I think these games really for their era were very innovative and and so to to try and think of them as the simulationist games that were much more prevalent then is gonna create some stumbling blocks. But I think if, if you view them well and you know, they were called storyteller games. So they really tried to hint at it for us. Yeah, a hundred percent. They wanted you to know, hey, these games are about telling the story. You know, the storyteller is this this key figure instead of the dungeon master or even the game master. They are the person helping tell the story. And each of the players, of course, is also a component in that storytelling process. And thinking of it as a troop, like just using that word instead of, you know, a, a party or something like that, a troop of actors is all telling a story together. And that is what you're trying to do when you're playing a, a World of Darkness game is you're telling a specific story. And if that story is going to be about environmentalism or it's going to be about family relations or it's going to be whatever it's going to be, which are you know different werewolf themes, you can 
play all of those using this system and really get an awesome experience out of it. Very, very cool. Now, one thing I do want to ask you, and because it is, you know, it's October, we're coming up to Halloween and, and we're kind of doing a, a little series here on, what do you want to say, darker slash horror games. Um, yeah, I know, obviously it's called the world of darkness. And like, I think vampire, the, the dark or the horror element was really the, what do you say, exploring the inhumanity of, of being a vampire and, and all that. Where does the, the darkness in the world of darkness come for, for werewolves? So there are two places. The first being you are a dying species who are facing off against enemies who are so much bigger, more powerful, and all-encompassing than you can even imagine, that fighting against them feels futile. You're fighting a war that you know you cannot win, and yet you are still striving with all of your energy to do that. That is the easily the darkest side of it. It is definitely not hope punk. It is definitely not any of that sort of like positive sort of thing. But you can find hope and you can find those glimmers of, uh, of, a, of a sense of chance that you will succeed in there if you work hard at it. The other side is you are effectively a rampaging monster who has anger you cannot control. And rage is the balancing factor to that spirituality element. You've got these people, these wolves and humans and werewolves who are consumed with rage, consumed with anger and frustration, and they have to work with each other, try to work in and around human society, and can't because their anger makes everyone terrified of them. So just existing in that world as a monster who has got rage and cannot do anything with it, cannot escape from it, that can be a really horrifying sort of thing to realize, like, I am stuck with this for the rest of my life and will never be able to be a regular normal person. Okay. Yeah. That it, it's just one of those things that like, I don't know, I guess again, going back to then it was the, well, the, these are the cool werewolves, you know, they aren't the, the, you know, the funky goth vampires, but you know, when you, you, you bring it into that perspective of, yeah, you're a, you're a dying breed and you know, you're not accepted. You have to deal with that chance that you're going to, to rage out i'm assuming there's some sort of stressor mechanic oh yeah to like there are a whole bunch of systems about uh, about your rage and your rage building up and and everything like that that uh it gets into some fun stuff right there okay it sounds like though like and again i don't remember but it sounds like you're saying that there are basically these tribes or or whatever of werewolves that you could very much play you know, a very modern urban-based game to a suburban game to a more remote game to every which where, you know, it's not restricted to, you know, you have to have trees or, you know, a forest nearby or anything like that. No, you could really set the game anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the cool thing is that with the different tribes and the different focuses in the game, you can easily play an urban game or you could play a suburban game, or like you said, you can play a wilderness game. And those are all equally interesting, and you can tell different cool stories with them. So set your game where you know. Like I always tell people, if you're going to run a World of Darkness game, set it in your hometown. And 
imagine what a group of werewolves or a group of vampires or whoever you're playing would be like in that place. Then you can reference real places. It makes things feel more real. It lets you put more gravitas on certain things. So you can do lots of cool stuff with that. Yeah, I've I've done that not in in World of Darkness games, but running other games where you know I happen to grow up in a very rural area, and I was running. Uh, it was a Cthulhu based game, but I stuck the the PCs out outside of this one little town. You know, they're like, "Well, can we just use the cell phones?" I'm like, "You don't have service. Like, you lost service about an hour ago." <laughs> and like the look on their faces, like it really drove home that because you know to a lot of Heck, even, you know, to where I live now, the idea of being an hour outside of cell service is, is absurd, but that's still how it is in that particular spot. Right. And like you said, if you go with what, you know, you can, yeah, you can just pick those, those little details that bring it so much more to life and, and you can, you know, describe them and then you watch what, you know, your players are doing and see what they react to and then lean into those things. And yeah, going with something familiar, I think. Like for me, I think in a game setting, I, I always want to either go familiar or just completely out there. And I don't know if, if I'm unique in that regard, but it seems like either it's got to be relatable or alien. And if you try to kind of mix in between the two, it just seems to fall flat because you're not sure how to take it. Yeah, I agree with you. You, you have the freedom when it's completely alien to you. You've got the freedom to make up whatever you want and no one at the table can call you on it. When it's familiar, you can be the authority and you're like, no, I know what's on Main Street. I know what's on, you know, Third Street. I know what I, what's on Elm Street because I can tell you I could draw you a map because I know these places so well. And you've got those two extremes. They give you freedom whichever direction you go in. Yeah. Wow. I dang it. I needed another game. I need to read like a hole in the head. <laughs> and now I have at least one. <laughs> I empathize. I have an entire shelf of games that I have either tried, not yet read, or will be reading soon. So uh, I empathize. Oh, that's well. Yeah, I'm waiting on at least three full games from Kickstarter, two of which are in one engine, and one is in a brand new engine that no one knows anything about yet. So, I, oh. I think I'm waiting on 27 Kickstarters to fulfill right now. So I'm a bit of yeah, I'm a bit. I'm one of those people who has more games than I know what to do with. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, now maybe it is more than, well, that's just like full, full core systems, not supplements and everything either, but gotcha. yeah, I, I, I'm not quite that dip into Kickstarter just yet. It's not for lack of want. It's just because I keep looking at the stack that I have and looking at my wallet, looking at the cost of things and going, Oh, I'd like to, but now, <laughs> cause like that's the, uh, the, apocalyptic record kickstarter you talked about on your last episode i was like oh this would be cool this would be really cool to have and the back of my head's going steve you have enough stuff you haven't read yet <laughs> apocalyptic record is a great book i'm just saying you know excellent resource for starting your werewolf game that you're going to start oh if if only i had excellent resources well no, i have excellent resources for a lot of games i want to start it's the time to write them and even more so to play them that I don't have. But in any case, um, so any more points that you want to touch on on Werewolf, since you obviously know a heck of a lot more about it than I do? I just recommend, folks, if you are interested, there is a wiki, there is a free wiki called the White Wolf Wiki that people can 
review and just get an idea for the game before you have even buy anything. And then you can go and check out the, uh, the W20 PDF on drive through RPG. It is a fairly good price. Most of the time, check it out, see what you like about it. Listen to werewolf, the podcast to get an, a feel for some of the books that we've reviewed and some of that content. And then if you want to play it, Go out there and look for a group, and I'm sure there are people that are going to be interested or pitch it to your group and just say, hey, this is what the game is going to be, and, and see see if you uh, if you enjoy it. Uh, it. It doesn't hurt to try it. Oh, no, of course not. You know, that's that's the one thing that, that you know, my early gaming was, was this person ran that game and this person ran that game, and, you know, this was amongst my, my college circle of friends, and so, like, you had six, seven campaigns going at once, but everyone was running something different. And it was wonderful because you got to play all these cool games. I wish we could go back to those days. <sighs> Wouldn't it be? Although that's another thing that, that sometimes I think some of the systems that were, were very popular in the 90s, they were complex enough that they, they almost begged to be your main system. You know what I mean? Like they had just enough rules that you you really you had to have a hell of a lot of free time if you were really going to be able to effectively run more than one or two different games. And I think the advent of some of the newer, you know, more toolbox style systems help with that. But I, at least I've also personally experienced a lot of people who are just, well, I don't want to play that system. I don't know it. And, you know, I think that's, you know, what do you have to lose by trying something new, right? Right. Try it out once. If you don't like it, you don't have to play it again, but at least try it once. Yeah. All right. So where can people go to find Werewolf the Podcast? Yeah. If you're interested in finding Werewolf Podcast, you can look us up on the internet at Werewolf the Podcast. We're the first thing that's going to come up. Uh, we are on Podbean as Werewolf Podcast. We're on Twitter at Podcast Werewolf. And uh, I believe I even have a website at werewolfpodcast.com. So you can find us there. And if you're interested in anything else I do, you can also look up High Level Games, which is the game company that I run where I write different products, uh, including products for the Storyteller's Vault, uh, which we have written several werewolf-related things for the Vault as well. And you can find us there at highlevelgames.ca. It's a Canadian company. I'm sorry. And you can go there and and learn more about us. Very, very cool. All right. So with uh, all that talked about and gone through and me enticed to, to want to go read more yet more games, it's time to do a little thing we do here. What we call Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Game of the Week. I told you about this when we were messaging back and forth before recording. So, uh, you have anything kind of in mind here? Would you like me to take my pick and go first, and that way you can kind of have a little bit more of a feel for it? Or yeah, take your pick. I've got a general idea, but go ahead first. Okay. So my Game of the Week this week is going to be a game that I found on DriveThruRPG, and it's called Survive This, We Die Young. And so what this is, it's actually a spiritual sequel to a game called Dark Places and Demogorgons. So what this is, it's set in Seattle during the 90s with the, the whole big grunge counterculture movement. And so it's sort of a grunge urban fantasy type deal where you play as 20-something you know, humans, vampires, werebeasts, mummies, kind of a, just this weird mishmash of kind of a world of darkness with 
the whole grunge aesthetic. Now it's saying it's a D20 based system with OSR influences. So by that, I'm guessing it's probably not super, super complex, but you know, it says if you've played any version of D and D, you'll find the game very easy to pick up. But I found that and for $10 for the PDF, it just looks like something that could be very fun or could also be used to inspire a game of werewolf or some other world of darkness game. Sounds really neat. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything out there that maybe you played a couple times a long time ago or happened to stumble across? Do you think that, uh, other people might like to check out? Yeah. Uh, I'm so conflicted in different types of games that I could suggest, but I think I'm going to shout out haunted West, which is a game that Chris Spivey created darker hue studios. Um, Haunted West is a Western with a Cthulhu kind of influence. It's a, a real look at history, um, looking at more uh, African-Americans in the Old West, as well as an alternate history game. So it's got a mix of both things there that are present, but it mixes Cthulhu and that history to produce a really, really rich and interesting game uh, the mechanics are really neat there's a rules light version of the mechanics a rules middle and a rules heavy version of the mechanics in the core book so you've got lots of different story options and lots of different mechanical options and it is written by an amazing creator chris spivey is an amazing person um, and one of the creators that i will always follow anything he does and pretty much buy immediately he did uh, harlem unbound for call of cthulhu which is an Excellent book, excellent supplement for Harlem in the Call of Cthulhu era. And Haunted West is his newest book. Um, it's only available on PDF at the moment on DriveThruRPG, but it, I really recommend it. I think you can still get the hardcover pre-ordered on, um, on Backer Kit. And if not, it'll be out fairly soon because he's in the process of getting those physical books printed pretty soon anyway. So definitely something for folks to check out. Yeah. I've, I've been eyeing that and going, oh, well, how bad do I want this? Because, uh, yeah, I that one's been on my radar as well. That does really sound like a fun game. It's amazing. I have only read uh, like deeply about 100 pages of it, but every page I turn, I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Over and over again. Very, very cool. All right. Well, then, um, I guess I would like to uh, thank you for taking the time to come join us. And um, any Final words? Uh, no, people should go out there and play and run games. Very, very cool. All right, then. Well, with that, it's time to remind everyone to uh, be kind to each other and get out there and play some RPGs. And if you're looking to contact us, you know, uh, all our contact stuff is in the show notes. There'll be links to, you know, Josh's show and websites and all that fun stuff, Game of the Week, links for our Discord server and, and all that stuff. So uh, with that, y'all take care and be kind. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another.
for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.